listening to The Currency Welcome. I'm your host, Mike Gaston, and this is episode number 75. 75, three quarters of a century, kiddos. Now, I'm recording this on January 3rd, 2021, which means that we are into the new year. This is the first episode of the new year. Thrilled to be here, thrilled to have you with me, and uh, kind of excited about the new year. Now, if you listened to last episode, that one closed out last year. And, you know, I'm probably a little bit of a downer. I was not in the mood. You know, it'd been been a great year for me in many ways, but very frustrated about where things were. I was frustrated the way the, the year was closing out. And, uh, and not just not just politically like, oh, you know, my guy didn't win, so I'm very unhappy. No, I was just like, this last year was just discouraging in a lot of ways. Discouraging to see uh, the way that people behaved, that the way society was moving, yada, yada. And so I kind of close out the year, you know, going off on, I'm not making goals and I'm not getting all excited about objectives. I'm just going to go into the new year and kick a little ass. <laughs> I think that was my phrase. Well, here I am. I'm on the other side. You're here with me. And I got to be honest, I'm kind of upbeat. I'm excited. I'm happy. I'm looking forward to the new year. I feel like there's a lot of great work to do. And, and I will say, I've, I don't know about you, but great work. I mean, even good work. It just gives you a sense of purpose. It gives you a reason, a sense of fulfillment when you can tackle great work. And we're going to, I mean, put a pin in that theme, that thought right there, because we're going to get into that in a little bit here. But I feel the sense of there's a lot of great work to do, and that's exciting to me. I'm looking forward to, uh, to picking up the shovel and, and uh, starting to dig. Um, there, <laughs> there's a great scene from, uh, what, oh, what's the movie? Oh, I'm going to go blank now. It's something like the um, uh, Hearts of Darkness or something like that. I forget what it's called, but it's a kind of a spoof on, on uh, horror movies. And... Um, they're the evil Lord is raising the dead. He's creating this army of, you know, dead that he's raised to help him take over the, the uh, world. And, and he, and so he raises the, <laughs> these skeletons from the grave and he's like, you know, this commanding kind of very dramatic stage voice. Welcome to the land of the living. You know, this kind of like you're, you know, I brought you to life. And then Amelie says, now pick up a shovel and get digging. Like, yeah. <laughs> That really encapsulates the the experiences, and it's like this grand welcome to the land of the living. Now get to work. There's work to do, but I'm excited about this year. I'm excited about the work that it uh, has on the table for me. I'm looking forward to digging in, and and uh, I hope that you're excited about your year as well. And I hope that it turns out to be a wonderful year for you, regardless of what's going on in the world around us. I hope your year is really profitable. Now I want to talk. Uh, speaking of profitable today about universal basic income, UBI. If you've been paying attention on the internets, uh, on, the, on the news at all, to any political conversations, this, this issue of UBI, the universal basic income, is kind of in the background. It's becoming actually more and more popular. It's becoming more and more mainstream. Uh, at least one, if not more, of the Democratic uh, presidential hopefuls in last year's runoff, Andrew Yang was a big proponent of universal basic income. And if you're not familiar with universal basic income, the idea is that governments uh, are going to provide or should provide uh, a basic income, a kind of a guaranteed basic income to all of its citizens. That, you know, this idea that you have to go get a job to earn your money is becoming more and more outdated. 
And as we delve deeper into things like technology and automation and so on, we're, we're benefiting more that these machines and factories and automated robots and artificial intelligence and so on, these things are able to do the work that human beings used to have to do, and they're able to create profits for us. And so we should take those profits, we should take all this kind of upside of technology and upside of digitization and upside of automation and start to redistribute that so that each individual can benefit from this, that folks can get at least a basic income. Some people say, well, it should be a thousand bucks a month, you know, 12 grand a year. Other people, no, no, it should be 24,000. Some people, 36,000. The numbers kind of go back and forth, but the idea is, can we get everybody at least a basic income? Can we get everybody a basic chunk of change to get them to the table? Because the argument goes that not everybody has the means to participate in our culture. They don't have the economic means to come to the table and participate like, like most of us do. You know, we're, we're working jobs, we're making money, we've got the opportunity to have some excess and we consume, we enjoy ourselves, have some luxury items, a little bit of leisure. And so the argument is we've got to give more people a place at the table. Because in our society, the way that we measure participation in the society is really through consumption. I know this might sound a little strange for some of you. You're like, what are you talking about? Consumption is how we participate in society. But, you know, what do they call us? What do we refer to? We're referred to as consumers. You listen to the news and, you know, anybody that grew up listening to the evening news or radio news, I mean, this, the phrase consumer confidence, it's always about, you know, the economy is either going to do well or it's going to do poorly based on consumer confidence. In fact, the American government just passed some, I don't even know what it's called, some relief bill. Uh, everybody's getting 600 bucks. Old Trumpity Bumpity tried to get you a couple grand. But at the end of the day, they're trying to give you some money in your pocket. George Bush did this during the uh, 9-11 and economic crash eras. You know, get some people some money in their pocket. And the whole idea wasn't that you are going to put that money in the bank and save it. The idea was that you were going to take that money and you'd use it to consume. You'd go out there and buy electronics or you'd buy uh, some, some groceries or you'd use it to buy something to consume. And this would help our economy. Participation in the American society is all about the economy. It's all about making sure that you can consume and that by consuming, you're helping the economy grow and you're creating jobs. It's like, it's like a basic American duty. It's patriotic now to consume. I mean, it's, it's kind of become that much interwoven into the fabric of what it means to be an American. And I think that this is true throughout the West. And I'm sure there are some countries in the West, maybe in Europe, maybe some countries in Asia, uh, where this is questioned. But for the most part, across the globe, in the majority, not every single country, don't quote me on that, but in the majority of countries, the idea is that to participate in the society is to consume. And so when you have a society where people are unable to consume, they don't have the means to consume, they don't have enough income, they don't have enough economic power, then the argument, you know, the challenge, the problem becomes, well, how do we get them money? How do we get them some money so that they can participate, so they can consume? And consumption is associated with pleasure. Consumption is associated with leisure. Uh, consumption is associated with luxury. These are, in our minds, good things. Who doesn't want to have some leisure time? Who doesn't want to have a little bit of luxury, maybe some cool technology to play with? Who doesn't want to have a little bit of 
free time to do what they want to do and so on. So this idea of consumption and pleasure and luxury and leisure is good. We think of this at least as good as a society. And so the idea of universal basic income, uh, if you think about it, and I think often we don't take the time to consider it, but if you think about it, it's really how do we give people a place at the table so they can participate in our society, meaning how can we help them consume? Because in a society that defines its people as consumers, then you find your worth. You're, you're either judged by your, your, the people in your society or you view yourself through the lens of your consumptive ability, your consumptive capability. So those of us that are able to consume uh, more so than others are looked up to. You know, if you can afford a, a fancy car, nice clothing, a nice house, you know, if you can take cool vacations, if you can enjoy, uh, you know, refined foods and drinks, you know, maybe it's not always have to be the most expensive, but maybe you're able to get craft beers or maybe you can get handmade clothing or maybe, you know, you're able to get a one-off uh, collector's edition of something. We, we, this idea of consuming and acquiring material goodness and material wealth this is really what we're kind of oriented around. And so those of us that can do that are winning. We're living the good life. We're participating in society in a great way. But, and we view ourselves as, as better. I don't mean to say that we view ourselves as better than somebody else, but like I'm better off if I can do these things and I'm worse off if I can't. That's how I define myself. And so for the people in our society that can't do that, the people that don't have access to these consumer goods, to these luxuries, to the leisure, you know, to the sustainable, organic, uh, local food, you know, which is quite expensive, you know, the, the, not everybody can afford to go down to the little outdoor market in the suburban uh, parking lot of, of the schools, the pu big public high school, you know, to, to talk to Farmer Joe who grows organic leafy green vegetables or, you know, the butcher who makes, uh, you know, grass fed sausage. These things are luxuries. And so if you can't acquire these things, if those are the stuff you want, and even if you look like, if you look at hip hop culture, so you say, well, you know, that's all middle class. You're talking about middle class, upper class stuff. Well, look at, look at urban culture, look at hip hop culture. You know, it's all about consuming expensive champagne, driving really big SUVs. You got to have diamonds. You got to have gold. You got to have ice. <laughs> it's, it's about consumption. And so universal basic income, this thing that Andrew Yang is talking about, but it's not just him. You know, uh, you look at the 2030 agenda that's been put out there by, by the United Nations General Assembly, uh, this idea that there are, there are these handful of kind of sustainable development goals uh, that they're putting out there that they want to have Im implemented by 2030. These get into things like the environment and economies and so on. One of the big things is eliminating economic inequality. And this is all and, and wrapped up in that is this idea of universal basic income that we're guaranteeing people the ability uh, to acquire and expend wealth on consumption. And so this idea is gaining more and more momentum. Now, I have been arguing against this idea for a while, and I want to talk about why I think it's a bad idea. And, and I want to share this with you because my thinking has shifted a little bit. For a long time, I kind of argued this on a couple levels, both of them basically economic. The first being that this doesn't make sense because if you're saying, well, if we give everybody money, 
then they can buy stuff. They can start participating. And my argument has been, and, you know, call me an idiot. If people have, you wouldn't be the first. But my argument has been, well, sure. But you're not considering the impact of inflation. You know, when you put more money into the market, you are inflating the market, which means that there's more cash available, which means prices go up. So when there's X amount of dollars in the market, you know, a luxury item might cost $100 and basic goods and services, maybe $50. You know, there's set prices and it's pretty normal. When all of a sudden everybody's got more money, when, when people are making a lot more money, those prices go up. That $50 basic good might become a $75 basic good or $100. That luxury item that's $100 might become $500 or $1,000 or whatever. You see this in uh, boom towns. You know, recently these towns where they're maybe uh, extracting uh, oil from sands or they're fracking, that type of thing where a region that really didn't have a whole lot going on, all of a sudden there's tons of money coming out of the ground, literally, and they're creating lots of jobs, high paying jobs. All of a sudden people that were struggling financially have jobs, they've got a lot of money and they're buying pickup trucks, they're buying new houses, they're buying uh, sporting goods and just all kinds of luxury items. And often you go into that town, you want to buy, uh, let's say, uh, a, a four-wheeler, one of these quad bike things to knock around in. In a normal economy, you know, drive a few hundred miles away, you can get that thing pretty reasonably. But you go to that boom town, there's a premium on that quad. Not because it was hard to bring it in there, not because, well, you don't understand, Mike, we had to ship it in there and, you know, it, no, because there's a lot of money floating around and that inflates prices. Just when there's a lot of supply, that inflates the prices. The, the, the uh, retailers and the producers, the sellers can command more dollars. So that was one of my arguments, one of two main arguments. The one was just that, yeah, I don't think this is going to work the way you think it's going to work. Because what's going to happen is you're going to say, well, if we could just get everybody $24,000, two grand a year, we could make their lives so much better. And I, and I understand you give them 24,000, even with inflation, they're still going to have more than they had. If they had zero going into this game and now they got 24K, well, even if there's inflation, that's not going to inflate their money down to zero, but still, they're not going to get as much bang for their buck because prices are going to go up and then we're still going to have the argument that they can't get access to the things that we want them to get access to, which leads to my second point, which is if you start UBI with 12K, 24K, 30K, whatever that number is that you start with, it's never going to be enough. And you're going to keep wanting to raise and raise and raise that number. Where, where do we stop with UBI? If we accept the idea that we have to give people money so that they can get to the table and consume, which I have a problem with people consuming, by the way, I want to be very clear. I don't have an issue with that. I mean, there's a whole nother, it's a whole nother <laughs> topic about consumption and we'll, we'll tackle that sometime. I'd like to talk about, you know, humans as consumers versus humans as producers. But, but if you start giving that money so that people can consume and inflation keeps eroding the value of that money because you keep putting more money into the marketplace, both devaluing, devaluating the dollar, the amount of money and, you know, the money supply is bigger. So just prices go up. Then the argument is going to be, well, gee, you know, we thought that they would be able to 
consume, but all oh, these predators are taking advantage of the fact that these poor people have money. So, you know, one of two things are going to happen. Or they'll probably both happen. One will be, oh, we got to regulate. We got to start regulating because these guys are rapacious and they're taking advantage of these people. And it's not right. We gave them the money so they could participate and they're being taken advantage of. And the other thing that's going to happen, not only with regulations, we're going to keep saying, well, we got to keep increasing that money. If we've all accepted the idea that people need access to the market and we just should give them money to get access so they can consume along with everybody, well, then how much is enough? You look at 24000 I could see the argument down the road going, well, that, you can't even get out of bed for twenty four k. Heck, you can't put food on the table. You can't feed a family of 12 on $24,000. we got to do something about this. <laughs> it's, it's an insult, a slap in the face. You're good Americans. So... For me, this UBI argument, historically, my, my response to it has been that, oh, you haven't factored in inflation and you're not being intellectually honest. It's a foot in the door argument. You're trying to get your foot in the door to get everybody to accept the idea that we should give people a place at the table by giving them money. And by doing that, we then have to keep increasing UBI ad infinitum. It'll never be enough until people are getting 100,000, 200,000, you know, and then inflation just keeps going up. I know you go, oh, Mike, that's a slippery slope argument. Hey, that's not a fallacy, kids. Look at real life. Look at taxation. Look at government regulation. It's very rare for it to go backwards. It's always piled upon itself. It always builds up. It never reduces. Very rare. You do get a reformer that'll come in once in a while and, and drastically cut things, rewrite the tax code, simplify things, get rid of, you know, all these taxes, et cetera. But it's very rare for that. Often it just keeps growing and growing and growing, becoming more and more burdensome. This is the case. This is this is the way. Now I said there were two main reasons. There's a third reason that I haven't really touched on that I should. And and that is uh and again, these are old arguments for me, but the third reason, the kind of you know, I, I need to put this on the table, but it, it only because it doesn't seem like we talk about this anymore. But I don't like it because it's the redistribution of wealth. Where does this money come from? We're kind of under this misguided idea that the government creates money, it creates wealth. It doesn't. It has printing presses that print pieces of paper with ones and tens and hundreds and fifties on them. But the government doesn't create money. When it, it, it doesn't create wealth. You and I create wealth. Individuals, human beings create wealth. Typically entrepreneurs and craftsmen, artisans, you know, business people, they create wealth. They find needs in the market and they meet those needs through their ingenuity, through teamwork, through incorporating and getting a group of people together through manufacturing and innovation and so on and so forth. That's how wealth is created. So when you go to work and you work really well and you get paid well and you get bonuses and you get incentives and you get raises and promotions, you're realizing some of the wealth that you're creating on behalf of your company in theory. It doesn't always work out that way. Uh, it can be very frustrating and we, that's another discussion for another time. But the idea is that human beings create wealth, not the government. So if the government's handing out this Twelve dollars or $24,000 per person for universal basic income. Where is it coming from? Well, if the government just prints the money, it is destroying the value of money. It can't just print money. It has to get it from somewhere. Well, now we're on to it. Where does the government get money from? If it can't just print money, where does the government get money? 
Well, the government, my friends, <laughs> takes it from you. As a matter of fact, one of the things about it being January 3rd, 2021, is that we have now just closed our financial year, our calendar year, but our financial year for the tax season. Almost all of us, unless you're a corporation that has a, a, a non-calendar fiscal, we're getting ready for taxes. You, some of you, some of you diligent people, I am one of them, spent a little bit of the weekend uh, collecting some documents, making a list. Hey, what, you know, did I make donations? Do I need to ask for this document? I need to get my W-2s queued up. Like you're starting to think about a, a, a compiling your information so that you can submit your taxes to the government. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're, uh, fill out your forms, your 1040s and so on and uh, either get refunded for overpaying or cut a check because you didn't give the government enough. Well, folks, that's the redistribution of wealth. They're taking wealth that you've created and they're going to redistribute it. Now, some of your taxes just go to running the government. You know, sometimes you got to do stuff. You got to, you got to have, you got to build roads. You got to put cops on the street. I know we like to defund the police these days, but you got to pay the cops. You got to pay the firemen. You got to pay the town supervisor and the clerk. You got to pay these people that keep the wheels on, supposedly, <laughs> for us. That's their job. And that's cool. We, we, we want to pay for these services that benefit everybody. We, we have to run a society. I'm not one of these uh, guys who's like, you know, no government whatsoever. I don't think the free market solves every single problem ever encountered by mankind. I think that's foolish and, and simplistic. Uh, I'm not an anarchist uh, and so on. But, but the fact of the matter is you got to pay some taxes. But the other chunk of those taxes, a good percentage of those taxes go to redistribution, meaning those are going to go into social programs. Those are going to go into uh, feeding people that don't have food, uh, paying for health care for people that can't afford it and the like. And, you know, call what we want, but it is the redistribution of wealth. Now, is that moral or immoral? That's a different discussion. But let's just recognize it for what it is. So for UBI... It's a giant redistribution of wealth program. It's a giant taking from those that have created and amassed wealth and redistributing it to those that don't have wealth. That's really what it is. So historically, those have been my arguments against UBI. Now, if you've hung in there with me for this long, about 20 some odd minutes, you're thinking, okay, <laughs> That's what you used to say. What is your problem with it now? Because you're saying historically, what's my problem with it now? Well, here's the issue that I have. I, I have come to understand that in arguing against it on the terms of, well, it's inflationary. It's going to cause inflation. Uh, the buying power won't be what they say it's going to be. People really won't be able to enjoy the consumption that they're saying they will. It's going to be a never-ending uh, cycle. It's like a treadmill. You give somebody $20,000, I'm going to have to give them 30000 and 40000 It's never going to be enough. That's solving the wrong problem because that's really getting at this issue of, well, if we give them the money, it's not really going to work. And I think there's an underlying issue behind this, and that is, do we really need to give people access to consumption for them to be fulfilled? Does human fulfillment come through consumption? Does happiness and, and satisfaction and joy and a sense of well-being come through consumption? Is that really the problem that we're trying to solve? And it, it, it occurs to me 
that both capitalism and socialism, because really UBI is, a, is kind of a, an aspect, a, a tool of socialism, they're both solving the wrong problem. They're both saying, hey, uh, we'll help you consume more. Now, capitalism, look, look at all the wealth that capitalism has created, et cetera. You look at how much we can consume. And socialism says, oh, no, the worker's being taken advantage of. You should be paid a fair day's wage for a fair day's work so that you can enjoy more leisure. You know, the union will fight for you. You don't have to work too many hours. The environment's better. You get all these benefits. You get really paid well. And you can go have a beer, go fishing, watch the game. Life's going to be great. But both of these try to address the issue of consumption. We'll make sure that you can consume more. You can be treated fairly and get more for the work that you do. Neither of these answer the question of good work. And I think this is really the issue. When we're focused on UBI, we're trying to make sure that everybody gets a chance to consume. But I think the real issue is, can we find good work for people? How can we provide opportunities for good work? Because I think at the end of the day, the human animal, human beings need good work. We are designed to work. We're created to work. And I think UBI is this kind of pipe dream that I won't have to work. I think it's very exciting for the younger, younger class these days, the younger generations. They really want UBI. I've talked to some of these young folks that are really excited about it. And the reason I think that is, is because this idea that like, I won't have to work so hard. I won't have to grind. I won't have to feel stupid and miserable. I won't have to go out there and find a job, et cetera. I can get this money in and then I can, you know, I'll be very creative and I'll, I'll be able to play some games and I'd just be able to do the things that I really like doing. That's what UBI will do for people. I think people need good work. They don't need to be set free from work. They don't need to be relieved of work. They don't need to be sheltered or protected from work. What they need to, is to be out of slavery. We have a whole society of people locked into wage slavery, barely making enough money doing soul-sucking work that doesn't, doesn't challenge them. It, it's stupid work. It, it, you, you can be an office worker. You can be a factory worker. There's all kinds of types of jobs that lead to wage slavery. People are in deep consumer debt. They're living paycheck to paycheck. They have no savings. They've got no financial debt. They have no financial uh, potency whatsoever. And you don't need to be making hundreds of thousands a year to be financially potent. You don't have to be making tons of money to have some depth. But if you're working paycheck to paycheck and you're barely getting by and, and you've got consumer debt and you have no savings, you, you're, you're hanging by a thread, hanging by a thread, one small hiccup and you're screwed. You've got no options. That's wage slavery. I think the question we really need to be answering here is how do we provide people good work? That is more interesting to me. And I think that's the problem with UBI. UBI assumes that you will be fulfilled consuming, that you'll be more happy, more fulfilled if you had more money in your pocket so you could have the ability to consume more. And yes, I know with Maslow's hierarchy, there's a certain level where people need certain things. You can't just say to somebody, look, uh, if you work hard, you'll be happy. Well, if the person's starving and they have children at home that are emaciated and they're buried up to their eyeballs in debt and they're trapped, that's just not enough. We need to find ways to get people out of that. There's a certain level where you've got to have a basic 
level just to get by. And, and that's, you know, people argue, well, that's what UBI is for. No, 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 no. You're putting a Band-Aid on a broken, rotten, corrupt system. How do we find good work for people? Now, let's face it about human nature. We're kind of naive. We act, we act kind of naive about it. We act innocent. Like we don't, oh, I have no, I didn't know. We act like if we give people money, that's going to solve the problem because, you know, people get the money, they'll do all kinds of amazing things with it. Well, you know, a small fraction will, but the majority of people will waste it. They'll waste their lives. They'll waste the money. That's human nature. We don't want to admit that. We like to think that, oh, mankind rises to the highest levels. Do we really look at the internet? What's the most traffic content on the internet? It's pornography. <laughs> it's not classical music. It's not the arts. It's not fascinating YouTube videos about mathematics and physics. No, it's porn. And, and to a level that's infected our society on, uh, 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 at every strata. You know, it used to be that guys would struggle with porn and women were kind of like, ugh, I don't know why he likes that stuff. It's gross. It, now young women, just as much as men. I mean, that's anecdotal. I don't have the statistics. I could pull them up. I mean, they're there. But more and more young women are saying, yeah, I'm addicted to pornography. We, we've never seen that before in society. So when we're given these amazing technological revolutions like the television, like the internet and so on, we don't always use them for lofty purposes. Now, there is a lot of lofty stuff going on online. This podcast, an example, what a marvelous example of the pinnacle of human thoughtfulness and uh, erudition and culture. <laughs> no, podcasting is huge. I mean, podcasting has provided an amazing amount of education and uh, entertainment and edification, encouragement. I mean, podcasting has been great. So, so there's clearly technologies out there that are being leveraged for the good. I'm not hostile to all tech. Why I bring this up is to say, we like to think that, oh, if we just give everybody money, if we just make it easier for everybody, mankind will, you know, will just float to the top like cream. We're all so good. We all want such good things. And if we're just set free from all these shackles and burdens that we have, we just become amazing. The fact is we are not amazing. We have the echoes of glory within us. We have the image of God within us and upon us, but we don't live up to it often. Given the opportunity, we sink to the lowest common denominator. We all do it. Admit it. <laughs> so I'm not like saying don't give anybody money because they'll waste it or all that type of thing. I'm saying let's just not be uh, purposefully naive. Let's not be ignorant. We know better. And I think what people really need isn't money thrown at them. I think people do need the ability to create wealth. I think the, that people should be given the opportunity to experience material well-being and health and all those things. Not against those. And this is the problem. You start to push on one thing and, oh, you're against that. But what I think we need more so and I think is more foundational and more fundamental to human happiness and human fulfillment and human flourishing is the opportunity to engage in good work. To engage in good work. And not everybody wants to work. There is a whole segment of our society, and this cuts across socioeconomic race and so on. There's a whole segment of our society that just doesn't want to work. 
is people just don't want to work. They're lazy. Human beings can be pretty lazy. Now you say, Mike, that seems pretty harsh. You're being harsh on people. People are lazy and so on. Well, let me take a page from the progressive playbook as I close this out uh, to kind of illustrate that this is not a conservative position to say that people are lazy, that people aren't capable of, of accomplishing and achieving their best. You know, back in the 1800s in America, the progressive movement's been going on in America and before America since the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment really kind of launched the progressive movement. And there are different tenets and platforms to progressivism, but the, one, of the, one of the general ideas is that we can create never-ending growth, that we can create never-ending never ending improvement. Part of the whole laissez-faire laissez free market capitalism was this idea that we would create this market, that we would unleash this market that would create never-ending growth and never-ending improvement. This is a progressive idea. Free markets are not a conservative idea. I hate to break it to you. This is an idea that we can continue to solve problems, create wealth, and so on. All right, fine. Not all progressivism is evil, by the way. The desire to kind of crawl up the ladder, crawl out of the hole up the ladder, the desire to move forward is not inherently evil. It's based on mankind falling from grace, but that's a whole nother story. But our desire to do better is not evil. Your desire to take better care of your children is not evil. Your desire to better yourself, to improve your skills, to take on more meaningful and more challenging work by climbing up a ladder somewhere and accomplishing something, that's not bad. That's a good thing. Your desire to be healthy, that's a good thing. But this idea of never-ending growth, that's what our society kind of was based on hundreds of years ago. The Republic oriented itself around laissez-faire markets. Over time, things shifted from being a Republic to a democracy, this idea of democratizing, that everyone has a voice. And initially, it was thought of as a participatory democracy, meaning Every man at that time, but let's use man as a generic term, every man, woman uh, these days and soon to be child, I guess we're going to let everybody vote, uh, but that we would all participate in this democracy. And to participate well in a democracy, it was considered important that you would be educated, that you would understand the world you lived in, you would understand a level of economics, that you would understand a level of civic duty and patriotism and nationalism and all these different things, you would understand them so that you could participate in this democracy in a meaningful way. You can't have a bunch of idiots showing up, pulling the lever, because they'll put in any dictator, any demagogue, any ne'er-do-well and make them uh, in charge of the whole shooting match. And that's not good for the republic. That's not good for democracy. So you had to be omni-competent. The members of our society, to, for this democracy to really work, had to be omni-competent. That was the initial vision. And then around the 1920s, a guy named Walter Lippmann uh, wrote a handful of papers, four of them to be exact, two of them, one in 1922 and another one in 1925, I believe. He wrote a couple, a couple books, actually, I said papers, he wrote a couple books, and he made the argument, and Lippmann was a liberal, Lippmann was a progressive, but he made the argument that, look, this idea of the omnicompetent member of a democracy, this participatory democracy, it's not happening. I'm looking about, and I think we all have to admit that 
the people of this country are not capable of making good decisions. Our society is becoming so complex, capitalism, industrialization, the specialization of jobs. It's not like people go out and farm and they know a little bit about everything. They know a little bit of ecology. They know a little bit of agriculture. They know a little chemistry. They know a little bit of meteorology and all these different soil technology and so on. And they just know how to bring all this stuff together to grow crops. That, that day's long gone. People now have one little job. They're a cog in a big machine. They keep, you know, that we pump out widgets. They stand at the factory line. They twist the wrench every five seconds as the assembly line moves by. These people are not capable of being omnicompetent. And our society and the world we live in has gotten too complex. And so Lipman's argument was that it was time to shift from a participatory democracy to a distributive democracy. And what that meant was it was time to let the professionals run society. Let the experts, the PhDs, the scientists, the experts, the people, the men and women of letters, those that have ascended to the heights of their fields, that have scientific, dispassionate perspectives on their area of expertise on society that will just make good decisions based on facts and data and information. Let these people run the democracy. Let's stop looking for the omnicompetent member of society to make decisions or even ascend to a role of leadership. Let's stop doing it. Let's go to a technocracy where we're looking for technocrats, the experts to run the machine. And the reason he called it a distributive democracy was, and then what we're going to do, folks, is we're going to distribute the benefits of the society to the members, meaning we will let them consume. These dopes, these dupes, and those weren't, those weren't Lippmann's words. He was not hostile to the, to the mob, to the proletariat. But he's going to let these people that really don't know how to participate, don't know how to own, don't know how to run society... Let them enjoy, let them watch sporting matches, let them have cold beer, let them buy nice automobiles, let them own their own home, let them consume. This, my friends, is what we call a distributive democracy, and this is what you and I in 2021 live in in the United States of America. The experts run the country. The Dr. Fauci's of the world tell us when it's safe to go outside. The attorneys that all <laughs> live and work in Washington, D.C., do you know any government official that isn't an attorney by training? And I love my lawyer. Dave, if you're listening, I love you, man. I love you. You're good at what you do. I'm glad to have you on the team, brother. But at the end of the day, what does it mean when a bunch of attorneys are running the nation, our governors, they are our senators, our congressmen, our presidents, and so on? There's a reason for that. These are technical experts in the law, and they are the ones running the country. We are sitting now in a distributive democracy, and the argument is, let's not trouble these rubes any more than we have to. Let's let them consume. Let us run things. Let us make you comfortable. Let us give you leisure. Let us give you luxury. Let us provide pleasures for you to enjoy because that is what is good. And my argument here with UBI and with all this is that that is not what leads to human happiness. We can do these things. We can give people all the access to consumption that we want to. That does not lead to a fulfilled, happy human 
being. My argument here is rather than UBI, we should be talking about what does it look like and how do we provide good jobs? How do we let people find, acquire, and engage good work? How do we get them out of wage slavery? How do we get rid of these dehumanizing jobs? If we want to use automation, why don't we use automation to get rid of the dehumanizing jobs and help people train them, educate them, and so on? so that they can do jobs that are more interesting, more, enter, more, as I say, entertaining, I guess, you know, but jobs that they find more intellectually stimulating. Now, a good job doesn't have to be a high level job. A good job doesn't have to be a professional job. You know, plumbing can be very fulfilling for some people. Some people love it. Other people are like, the last thing I want to do is get on my hands and knees and with a wrench around a toilet. That's the last thing. And other people are like, I love fixing plumbing problems. I love, I love soldering ca- uh, uh, copper and putting together hoses and lines and building systems. Like Some people find it very fulfilling. And through that, they can create wealth. This isn't always about professional level jobs and, you know, executive level educations and so on. It's not about, it's not about college education. That is one pathway, but there are many pathways to doing good work. Agriculture is good work. Carpentry is good work. That there's so many different things that can be considered good work. They don't have to necessarily be professional jobs where you don't get your hands dirty. A lot of people want to get their hands dirty. A lot of people after a hard physical day of labor feel great. That's fulfilling. Why do you think we like to go camping sometimes in the weekends? We want to struggle a little bit. We want to breathe that fresh air. We want to feel a little dirty. Well, some people, that's how they want to make their living. I think that's fantastic. So I think we have to have a diversity and variety of work. But the question for me isn't how we give people money, isn't how we let people consume. The question that we really should be wrestling with is how do we eliminate the dehumanizing work that a lot of people feel? How do we help people, educate them, train them to get out of wage slavery? And how do we get more and more and more people into good work? How do we get people into good work? How do we get them access to engage and do good work? That, my friends, is why I am against universal basic income. It does not solve the deeper human problem because I'm more interested in about human flourishing than I am about making sure people can consume. Hey, I hope you found this useful. I'm curious what you think. Do me a favor. If you haven't gotten in touch with me yet, go over to my website. It's mikegaston.com. That's M-I-K-E-G-A-S-T-I-N.com, mikegaston.com. You'll see over on the right-hand side, you can sign up for my newsletter. I'm going to start in 2021 putting a newsletter out a little bit more regularly. I never spam. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm just wanting to share my thoughts and ideas. I want to get a little bit more regular with that. I'm going to shoot for at least once a month, shooting out an email to you guys, maybe sharing some thoughts, maybe sharing some of the other content that I create, things like articles or uh, videos, Uh, but it low key low key. But do me a favor, sign up for that. While you're at the website, if you want to, shoot me a note. What do you think of this? Have you thought about UBI? What are your thoughts on it? You can contact me through the contact form. I'd be happy to have a little email chat with you. We can connect via LinkedIn. Just look for Mike Gaston. We can connect on Twitter. If you do reach out to me on social media, do me a favor. Say, hey, I'm a listener of the show. I'd love to connect. That way I kind of know 
uh, how you found me. And um, I'd love to engage and learn more about what you think and what your experiences have been. Folks, it's 2021. I wish you all a happy new year. I wish you the best. I wish you health, wealth, success. And most of all, I hope that you can find deep and enduring fulfillment in this year. I love you guys, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you.